Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to another Porsche Cooled podcast. Podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. Uh, it's owner's stories today. It's Tuesday. It's owner's stories. Well, it's not Tuesday here at the moment. This is actually, I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. It's actually Thursday at quarter to seven in the morning here in London. Um, and I'm about to connect with, um, with uh, Paul in New Zealand. Uh, Paul's got an interesting, interesting story. He's got a few cars. Um, they may all be Porsches. They may not. Um, so we're going we're gonna to get Paul uh, connected up very, very shortly. Um, but I just want to say thank you for supporting the Porsche Cool podcast. Thank you for supporting owner stories. It seems you guys uh, really, really like hearing other owners um, chat about their Porsches. So I'm trying to hook up as organized, I should say, as many people as I can for you guys over the, over the coming uh, few weeks. Um, I've got some good ones coming up. Uh, if you want to be on the owner stories, if you want to be on this Porsche Cooled owner stories episode, um, we just connect by Zoom. Um, I do all the recording. All you have to do is chat with me. It's really easy. Uh, we do it for about an hour, uh, and the hour goes very, very quickly. Um, it doesn't have to be an hour, but it, it, it tends to be an hour re- with most people that I've done. Like I said, this is number 11 of owner stories, uh, so we're getting up there. Um, and we're going to talk to Paul very shortly. So let me just get uh, the Zoom organized. Uh, like I said, my name is Michael Bath. This is Porsche Cooled Owner Stories number 11. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast. Um, I just wanted to say before I uh, introduce Paul, um, if you want to be on Owner Stories, I didn't actually mention it in the beginning intro. If you want to be on Owner Stories, you can just reach out to me on um, Instagram. It's probably the best. So just uh, Porsche Cooled on Instagram. Um, when you're there, give us a follow as well, or michael.bath. Uh, so if you contact me there, and if you want to be on the owner stories and, and chat about your Porsche, just, um, just reach out to me and I will get back to you. Sometimes it takes a couple of days, but I will get back to you. So today, like I said, this is owner stories, uh, number 11. Uh, and I want to welcome, uh, Paul to the podcast today. Paul is coming all the way from New Zealand. Uh, it's evening there. How are you, Paul? I'm very well. Thank you. So Paul is, Paul reached out to me on, uh, on Facebook the other day, not that all, actually not the other day. I missed your message actually, Paul. Sorry about that. So Paul reached out to me and um, Paul has a couple of Porsches, but I'm going to let, we're going to get into that and we're going to let Paul uh, tell us what he has. He also has something else, which, which I think is really cool. Uh, and I think you guys will as well. He doesn't, he has another car, which is not a Porsche, um, but we'll get into that shortly. Um, so Paul, I'll always like to start these. Uh, so you're in, you're in New Zealand, right? So you're in Auckland or you're Somewhere uh, else. Yes, yes, I'm in Auckland. Are oh, you in Auckland? Great. Um, yep. And New Zealand is probably the safest place on, on in the world at the moment as well, isn't it? I mean, it seems to be it seems to be one of those places where everyone wants to go to. It's either I think I'd rather go. It's either Auckland or Australia, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We seem to be doing very well on the COVID count, being um, relatively COVID free, um, mm. and we seem to be getting a lot of expat New Zealanders coming back into New Zealand. So yeah, so although we're not getting the tourism, we're getting we're getting a lot of Kiwis come home. Yeah, I can I can understand why. Okay, so let's let's get into the Porsche. Let's get into the chat. So, like I said, we always like I always like to start owner stories with um your first memory, um, Paul, of of seeing a nine eleven. You know, some people, in fact, uh, the last couple of episodes I've had of uh, the people who have been on owner stories haven't really been hasn't really been uh, it's been a later thing in life for them where they've got their first Porsche later in life. So, but let's go back. Um, Childhood memories. Is, is Porsche something that you had when you were a kid? Did you have a relative that owned a car? Uh, was it something that you, you, know, you, you always wanted to buy? What, what was it that, that got you into the brand? 
So yes, I've got a strong injection of uh, Porsche into my childhood. So my first vivid memory of a Porsche. Uh, so I was I was born in '75, and I remember being about six or seven years old, and my dad going into a Mercedes Benz dealership to buy a family car, and there was a, probably a brand new or almost brand new black on black 930 Turbo, and as a six slash seven year old boy, that left a pretty uh, impressive image in my mind. I can very clearly remember that car. Fantastic. So after that, what happened then? You, you, you saw this and you probably saw the pinnacle as well at the time, right? The 930 Turbo, like we start at the top. <laughs> <laughs> we start at the top with the, with the vivid memory. So then you see that car and then when, when did you start thinking, okay, I want to buy I want to buy a Porsche. I want to buy a 911. When when did that happen? Did that was that a recent thing or was that that? Oh many no, years ago? no, no, no. Ever since uh, ever since around about that age. So um, I was fortunate in that my dad had uh, nice cars and sports cars when I was a kid and growing up. So on that particular trip, he took a more sensible approach and took and purchased the Mercedes. But when I was about ten years old, my dad purchased his first 911, which was a 1973 911 E Targa in, uh, I think you call it Signal Orange. Oh, okay. So, so um, the pick of the colours as well. The colours. Yeah, of so it was Uber. It was, it's Uber fashionable now, and it was probably Uber fashionable in its day, but in the mid 80s, it was just sort of sliding out of Uber fashionableism. So, yeah, so it basically was, um, it was orange with a, with a, with a, I remember it had like orange and brown striped um, interior cloth. And um, I can sort of vividly remember um, being in that car with my dad and my mum and and sister, and um, and that there was actually a family. It was actually the only family car for a moment. Um, so yes, yeah, so I can kind of I kind of have a vivid memory of that. So my my dad was a car nut ever since I can remember. Right. And there were Porsche books and car magazines, sports car magazines around, ever since I can remember. So um, so I guess that's where. That's where that first-hand uh, uh, love affair with Porsches came along, and you know, back then my dad sort of promptly joined the Porsche club, and I can remember going back to—I can remember attending Porsche club events and and early uh, race meetings. This is probably now into the mid to, to late '80s, as a you know, as as a twelve-year-old slash early teenager. So I, I kind of uh, had quite a f- of of 911s and Porsches. Um, from a very early age, and my dad, um, he he, uh, as as one of his friends affectionately jokes, he changed his cars more often than he changed his underwear, <laughs> and um, and he's he probably had he's probably had about thirty Porsches now, and most of them are generally, sorry, oh he's had thir- over thirty Porsches, yeah, correct, thirty three oh yeah, he's he's wow. um, so and and not necessarily two or three or a mass collection, he would just basically uh, lip in and out of them every sort of. 12 months to two years. So um, I've been fortunate enough to for my dad to have a lot of long hood 911s. Um, yes. He had probably about three or four SCs in the day. He had a three litre 930 turbo. He's had 944s, 924s, 94 turbos, a 928, uh, 968. Uh, wow. So he really went through, he really has, he really does have that passion for Porsche. So that's where you got it from. So when you were a kid, yeah. this... 
that's probably a kid's dream, isn't it? You know, to have to have that car in your life, to have something like a Porsche that your dad is driving. So when you when you eventually get your license, does he let you drive the 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 current Porsche at the time, or had he sold the Porsche by then? No, yes, he did. So um, what did he have back then? I think I think I drove a couple of the nine eleven SCs. I remember driving the three liter turbo. I remember driving one of the nine four fours, and then um, you know, sort of at that stage. You know, I, I was sort of, I left home at about 18. So once I sort of grew up and, and sort of went out into the big wide world, um, he still had cars, but I probably didn't drive them so much. And and he, um, there was a stage where he no longer owned Porsches and, and went to another uh, mark. And, um, and he was into Ferraris for a while there and, and had those for a bit. So so generally, since I've had my driver's license, most of the cars he's owned, I've, I've, I've been able to drive at some stage. Okay, so you had a you had a really good introduction to Porsche, and I, I just maybe you should just tell the people. I mean, uh, Paul is very heavily involved in the Porsche community in New Zealand. So, can you just tell the listeners about that, Paul? Because it kind of makes sense now when you when you talk about your your upbringing in your childhood with with the cars that your dad has owned. Yeah, so they so so there's a bit of a term that someone has coined where I'm uh, a second generation club member. So the Porsche Club in New Zealand was started in 1975, and there are now people who are who have had children that were effectively born or young when they first got their Porsches and and their and their kids are now Porsche club members and I would be one of that people uh, the second generation. I'm not I'm not sure if we've got quite a third generation yet. Um, I'd have to work on my daughters. But yeah, so <laughs> so I kinda I I I could afford my first Porsche when I was about uh 31, 32. So I've sort of had them for about 13 years now and I and I sort of promptly joined the Porsche Club uh back in about 2009 i think when i first got my own porsche and have been a club member since um and i'm now the the current uh, president of the new zealand porsche club that's a big responsibility paul <laughs> yeah it's, it's a one day a week job it's, not, it's certainly not as big as say an american porsche club uh, or even an australian one of the australian regional porsche clubs but in new zealand we've got just on 800 members and um I think it equates to about one day a week's work. <laughs> yeah, no, I looked at I looked at the Porsche Club. I want to get to your cars, but I just I did look at the Porsche Club yeah. New Zealand website just to have a look at yeah. I have a look at the cars that were at the events and have a look at the images and stuff. I noticed you took some of the some of the images at those events. Um, it looks like there's a really nice mix of um, nine, nine, really nice mix of cars, a really nice mix of people. It seems like it, uh, and there's some really nice cars there too. So the the Porsche uh, the Porsche passion is very strong in um, in New Zealand. It seems. Yeah, it's very it's very strong. You know, we've got a we've got a, a club race series that's been going since, you know, as a formal race series since 1987. Um, there are obviously club members racing prior to that. You know, and we we have regional chapters throughout New Zealand. So New Zealand's a long, narrow country, and you know, in all the main centres we've got regional chapters, and then we've sort of got remote outlying areas. We've got you know smaller chapters of you know it might be 30 to 50 club members. So. Um, yeah, the, the Porsche community in New Zealand is definitely very strong. Yeah, it looks good. Um, so let's go back. Let's go back to that first 911. So you have you you obviously start working or you have the funds and you you decide to buy something. So when you bought your first 911, it was a it was a used 911. What what did you what did yes. you go searching yes. for? Yes, absolutely. So so my my um, so my first 911 was a 1976 Carrera three liter coupe a five-speed and um it's a it was not quite a barn find it's probably what i'd call a, a a suburban garage find so it was a 
my wife was selling bathrooms at the time and she had a, a customer that she spiked a bathroom for and um, he invited um, us around in the weekend to have a look at that that project when it was finished and um, I just happened to spy in his garage this black uh, 911 with a whale tail and and that sort of got me wildly animated and, uh, and excited at the time and all enthused and um, and we sort of instead of looking at the bathroom we ended up spending two hours in the garage talking Porsches and um, <laughs> and and it was quite good because um, that person you know is a good friend of mine Graham and he's sort of become one of my best friends although he doesn't own a Porsche anymore um, and so I kind of knew of that car I couldn't afford it at the time that that uh, I first met him in the car but sort of we were we were friends and sort of over about a three or four year period there'd be a bit of a banter about me pining to buy the car yeah and then you know he would didn't really want to sell it and then there'd be a moment where he'd want to sell it and and I couldn't quite put the funds together at the time and and there was a bit of this going on for a while and then and then there was sort of a one day he said to me so you know he's he's also into American cars and he said Paul it's going to go you've either sort of got a uh man up or or you're going to lose the window of opportunity and um at that stage I decided to bite the bullet so um so yeah and um yeah the rest is history from there so you had that car um you enjoyed it for for how long Paul how long did you own that one for I think I had it for about four or five years yeah I love that car a bit so um when I first brought it it was a very original and and tired car so that was before Carrera three liters became expensive and desirable things back then, they were sort of the bottom of the 911 yeah. run. I was, going, and they, and they, I was going to ask you that actually, if you bought it at the right time, and I think it, obviously you did. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't sell it at the right time. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So it doesn't make, yeah, it doesn't make up for it. Yes, yes. Yes. So, um, so when I brought it, it was basically a car that came with an awful lot of delayed maintenance and and drove like a, a ropey 911. And, um, Sort of when I first I, I I brought I sort of took it for a little drive around the block and didn't really get to take it for a proper drive before I brought it and um, it's funny I could sort of remember the first time I took it for a, a proper drive that's where I sort of jumped in it and took a two and a half hour trip to my parents' house down the road and um, sort of one and a half hours into the trip I was like oh this is this is maybe not quite the Porsche dream that I experienced you know it had a whole lot of delayed maintenance it was noisy it was sloppy on the road the brakes didn't work particularly well. And and it was a it was an older car, and I sort of I remember having this vivid thought, thinking uh, maybe I should have taken the next step to something like a nine six four. It might have been a bit more a bit more modern because at the time my daily driver was a was an an Audi S four, okay, the the two point seven TT. So that car was miles faster. It braked a lot better. It did a whole lot more. And I guess I was still because I'm not used to owning Porsches. Then I was I still had this dream that a Porsche was a rocket ship and should blow the blow the pants off everything and and this car wasn't doing that at the time so um i guess to cut a long story short over the over the period that i had that car i you know one of the first things i did when i joined the porsche club was do a, a driver training day and that was a an instant hit of um what i call uh track cocaine as opposed to crack cocaine where i right. got the adrenaline of of going to the track and and i was yes. instantly um hooked on on doing track days and 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 doing doing events at speed in cars and um and basically i started on a long process of effectively um improving the performance of that car so that was a total suspension rebuild you know going through like turbo torsion bars and uh going through the elephant racing uh online tick box and ticking basically everything you can for i think it was like the the track the the track one option i think it was and 
and you know so we went through and basically you know uh rebuilt all the suspension you know i i got from um stan adler in australia um some ssis and a dance muffler and we went through and pulled a bit of weight out of it and um and just dialed the car right in so all of a sudden you kind of had a a C3 that was now a track-focused car that was, you know, running around with, you know, uh, track pads and 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 sticky tires, the stickiest, the stickiest road legal tires you could get, and and it it was now a, a, a quite a nimble little weapon. So, um, and I really loved that because you know you'd go to the track and yes, you were underpowered in straight line, but you'd come up against cars that were still softer in suspension things like 996s and 997s which were new back then and and um and you know you'd be all over them through the corners and you'd be slingshotting out of a corner quicker and you'd kind yep. of go up the inside of them until until the sheer horsepower would kick in and then they'd kind of grab you at the end of the straight so so i did um and a lot of track days in that and i did uh target tours in it and and yeah i i love that cut a bit so that was that was a fantastic fantastic car so when was the point then? This car, you've got it. You've you've spent quite a bit of money on it. You've you've got it tweaked to to perfection. Um, you've made it your track car. When when was the point when you were driving it and you thought, okay, this is I've got to I've got to change it up now. I've got to get rid of this car. Um, so there's a term that I affectionately call. So, so in in New Zealand, you know, I've got a whole group of friends that we all do track days together and B road drives and you know. Go, go 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 for a weekend and drive a couple of hours through twisty roads up north or south and you know stay at someone's holiday home or, or, a, or a hotel and make a weekend of it like boys weekends and yes. um and this this group of friends you know some of us have got older cars and some of us have got yeah more modern cars and and there's a term that i affectionately called an arms race where where we all wanted to go quicker and the, the best way to go quicker because you run out of t- natural talent pretty quickly was to was to buy it and you either you either buy it through suspension and, and car modifications or we just buy something that goes quicker and um i think i i've always i, I always liked 993s and um there was a 993 c2 uh, six-speed manual which was new zealand new new zealand yes. new cars are very rare you know um you know most of our older cars come out of the uk or out of australia and um and it was a car that was it just ticked a lot of ticks so i kind of thought um it was a time to to make a jump forward um there were a couple of things that that i kind of made me fall out of love with the the c3 a little bit so i i I always knew it was a little bit rare and, and a desirable car, and I was probably a little bit ahead of the curve in buying one of those and setting it aside. And yep. um, one of the things I did at a track day was I basically buzzed the engine. I put a, a, a rod through the case, and um, I know now I could get a replacement case and restamp it, but back then I didn't know I could do that, and I ended up uh, putting a, a 204 horsepower SC engine in it. So I now have a Carrera 3 with an SC engine in it. So it wasn't quite the... I kind of broke it if that's what if that makes sense and and it right. wasn't quite the same so i kind of reached a point whether i kept uh spending money on this car to try and make it go faster or whether whether i just uh had a new adventure and um and got something that was a little bit more modern and naturally quicker and i and i chose the i chose the latter and to go for a new adventure so you went to the 993 so the 993 was partly was used or it was brand new used no no it was used it was um so the the 99, yeah, so it was a 2005 C2 manual. And basically, 
Um, with that car, I was still doing, you know, I was still going to the track on a regular basis, et cetera. And with, and with that car, it was basically a very original car, but it was sitting on 20-year-old suspension. And um, 993s, when the suspension's not fresh and and uh, uh, good in them, they, they, they don't handle particularly well. You know, I, I, I use the term, they kind of crab walk around corners. They're a bit, they're a bit funny. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so kind of with the 993, it was actually, they're actually, uh, surprisingly quiet and soft car, you know, they're noticeably quieter than like 964 and, and softer to drive. And um, so I kind of, I had another friend at the time who had a pretty significantly modified um, 993 C2. And, you know, he, he redone all the suspension, put PSS 10s in it and semi-solid everything through it. And, you know, Fister uh, mufflers and, and, yep called golden rods and short shift this and a whole lot of other things you know is, is and basically i'd driven his car and his car was just you know i had a light and flight wheel it was just a wonderful it, you know it's like it was it was like driving a 993 rs effectively yeah what well, i was going to say uh, it sounds like uh if you've listened to the podcast it was steve you know it sounds like yeah. what steve did to his 993 which is pretty much what he did to he he put those rs components he you know, he changed yeah. all the suspension out was one of the first things he did. He put the Fister on. So it seems like it's a common thread with uh, with with changes to the 993, yeah? Yeah, and it really wakes them up. And, now, and then, they're, and then they're, you know, their they're weapons, then, you know, they go really, really well. And um, so basically I went through a process of doing all of those mods for the car. But for as much as I really, really liked 993s back then, I still do now, um, it, it's just a car I never really bonded with, if that makes sense. I never really fell in love with it. And right. I... Just things I didn't quite like about it, you know. I didn't quite like the spec of it. It was polar silver with a with a grey interior, and I wasn't, you know. I don't mean to knock cars and specs. You know, we all have different tastes, but um, yeah. wasn't wasn't quite my my cup of tea. And you know, I, was, I I kept doing things to it and modifying it, thinking if I this if I did that, I'd kind of love it more. And it's a bit like um, the analogy I use. It's a bit like trying to make a relationship work that shouldn't, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You just can't force them to work, and it was just a car that I never. Although I acknowledge a, a 993 is a very good car, it was just a car that I didn't personally bond with super well. What so, year? Um, what year did you buy the 993? Uh, about 2015, I think. 14, 15, something like 2015, that. 2015. Okay, and at the time you weren't tempted to to get into a 964 instead of the 993, and I only say that because you know the the, the common. Uh, conversation with you know it's, it's which, one, you which one is which one is better i have a bit of a giggle because i think nine six nine are a great car but i think um nine six fours are what i call porsche fashion so um like when i first brought my career three you know nine six fours weren't that desirable they were these things that were really expensive to maintain and they all had leaks and and Yes. And they were ropey and it was an expensive Porsche you didn't want to own. And, you know, if you look at things like total 911 magazines and whatnot, or around the late 2008, 2010, they do like comparisons with like a 3.2 career and a 964. And the articles would all say back then, like the 3.2 was the better, more purest car and, and, and all of these sorts of things. And, and, and then I think there's been a, an era of uh, 964s becoming uber fashionable and, you know, yeah, the right people in Porsche circles buying them and everybody else saying, me too, I want one. You know, if, if you go back 10 years ago, people would have said, oh, they've got ugly bumpers and, and you know, they're, it's certainly not as good as a 993. You know, you, if you saw a 964, 993 article 10 years ago, everyone would say, go buy the 993, save your pennies and go buy the 993 sort of thing. So Yeah, absolutely. 
So I, I like 964s. I think they are uh, good-looking cars. I've driven a couple of them. There's a couple of opportunities I could have had to buy one, and I sort of passed on it. Um, I guess at that particular time, there was no uh, 964 C2 manual for me to buy that ticked the boxes. And I and I I really did like the 993. I, I, I still think the 993 has the nicest-looking rear end of the 911 range, that yeah. rear three-quarter angle with the one that's slightly lowered. It's just a, a very sexy car. I... I think the front of them are a little bit soft and, and bubbly these days. I, I do, I do prefer um, the more classical 911 with the upright headlights. Okay, so, so the nine nine the nine nine three. Do you start? Yeah. Do you when you bought the nine nine three? You bought it. Do you start tweaking it? Do you think okay, I'm going to make this? Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, I probably I probably would have dropped twenty k into it pretty quickly. I was I was on I was on Elephant Racing website and. Uh, Buying a lot of cars, a lot of a lot, not a lot of cars, sorry, a lot of parts of uh, um, oh, the name escapes me now. One of the American sites and 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 importing bits hand over fist. And basically, as as bits came in, I would um, you know, I'd, I'd bolt them onto the car. So like the the Carrera three took me about was a project that took about three years to do. The nine nine six, I basically. I I kind of once I once I'd gone through that process of discovery and knew what I like to make a car work well i was just basically checking the box and the boxes were flying into new zealand as quickly as they could it was it was basically done and dusted within six months as a as a from a the car i first bought to the, the okay. final evolution of it and what was the what was the um what was the difference on the track with that car when you when you took the nine the the 993 right to the track what was the yeah. difference on the track compared to the carrera three uh, the night and day. The, I actually really, really liked the 993 on the track. It's um, the way the car was set up. It was very neutral. Um, you know, it has ABS. It's got you know good big brakes on it. You, you know, you're running bigger tires on it, so it just stopped. It's got a wider track, so it's going through corners quicker, and it's got a lot more torque. So in my little C3 on the local New Zealand tracks that I do, I was circulating in say one minute 19. Right. And um, and then in the 993, I could just get into the 115s, which was pretty quick time. Actually, that's the other interesting thing when you talk about the 964 and 993 comparison. One of the things that I do know is a 993 is certainly a quicker car. When you've yes. got a 964, that's on a like-for-like like setup. So something that's basically RS spec in a 964. Um, the ones that I see in New Zealand, a couple of seconds slower, although they, Although the non-Vario Ram 993 is basically at the same engine as the 964, which is interesting. So you're driving the 993, and I'm going to refer back to um, James on a previous owner's stories, James who had the cup car, and um, yeah. who has the cup cars, I should say, and lots of Porsches like you, you know, experienced transaxles and water-cooled and air-cooled. And he says, you know, on the track, you eventually outdrive the car. Um, and I guess that's what happened... I guess that's what's happened happened with you with the Carrera, right? You outdrive your school level gets better, um, and then you want something more. So you're in the nine nine three. When yeah. does it get to a point that you think, okay, this is still not enough. I want something more. Um, so I did get something more, and I had the nine nine three at the same time. So the something more that came along was, um, and this is before they all skyrocketed in value and were in that sort of unloved state. Was I brought a nine nine six Gen two. GT3 were the club sports specs. I'd had the half cage in the buckets and okay. um, and and basically I I I brought that car and um and that became the the track weapon. And then the 993 
um, when I first brought it, it was still on its original paint, but it had been touched up a couple of times. I think the bumper had been sprayed and the bonnet had been sprayed a couple of times. It looked like one of the guards had been sprayed. And when you looked at the car hard, because it was a metallic polar silver, you could sort of see the different shades of, of paint. And, um, and so basically I chose to soften off the 993 a little bit and, um, and repaint it at the time and, um, uh, and, and, and tidy it all up, make it a, make it what I'd call a show pony car. And, um, the thing that sort of broke me on the 993 was, um, so I kind of, I kind of always struggled to love that car. If it, as I sort of previously said, it was, yep. you know, you keep, if I buy this one little bit, you know, this, you know, change the steering wheel, do something. It's it, maybe it's just the difference between loving it and, and not loving it. And, um, yeah, so cut a long story short, I, I painted it and it was all of a sudden a very, very tidy, uh, you know, example of one of these cars. And then I took it away for a long weekend with the new paint and, um, the New Zealand roads have got quite a rough chip on them. And um, I kid you not, I, by the end of the weekend, I came back and the front of the car had about like 30 stone chips on it, oh, like, really? like major chips back to the primer. And um, that that kind of that kind of made me realise that I'm not a, a concourse car type guy. You know, it's it's I like them and I and I like to I like to own the cars rather than the cars own me and get upset when stone chipped, etc. So basically I, I took it and I got it repainted and got it all mint again and, 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 you know, touched up the front guards and the bonnet. And, and at that point there, I'd kind of made a decision that, that, that we were to part ways and, and, and sold the car. You know, I sort of had the GT3 for my new adrenaline fix and the, and the, uh, now actually there's a little bit more to the story than that. So the 993 got swapped out for another car and the 993 got swapped out for a, 1987 911 Carrera G50, which is red over cream. And this car is, um, you know, so it's got a whale tail on it and the front spoiler. And it's that quintessential 1980s uh, yuppie era Porsche that, um, and basically it was a poster car for me when I was a kid. And um, there was a a New Zealand new example with a a lowish mileage, but one not too low to be you'd be afraid to put miles on it and it was all original basically except for the front valance and uh it's all original paint and it had an all original interior it's just a very honest car and um i sort of thought to myself at the time it's a car i'd been chasing on and off over time i find that cars i want to own don't just magically come up for sale somebody owns it at the moment and you have to tap on the shoulder and 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 politely bug them every six to 12 months and, until until they decide to sell. And um, so there was this car that kind of escaped me a couple of times that that sort of uh, I, I really liked. You know, it was a beautiful, a beautiful quintessential Porsche from my childhood era. This is what a 911 is. And, uh, you know, uh, you know a, red, a red car with a whale tail. And, um, and basically I kind of had a thought process at the time and I sort of said they were worth the same, the cars had similar mileages and worth the same money. And I said to myself, if I walked into the local Porsche dealership and they were all shinied up, you know, inside the showroom and yep. they were the same money, which one would I gravitate towards? Which one would I want? And the answer was I'd take the, the 3.2 career. It's just uh, to my eye, it's the the G series Porsche with the impact bumpers is the quintessential 911. It's the car of when I was a kid. And, so eight, um, 87 is this the red one, Guards Red? Yeah, eighty-seven true. Guards Red G fifty. So the perfect, the, the the perfect spec, really. Um, yeah, the classic spec, the period correct spec. Correct. So the nine nine three. So you sell the nine nine three. 
Yep. So you sold the 993. So then you have you still have the 996.2 GT3. Correct. Is that a car that you enjoyed on the... I mean, I know there's great roads in New Zealand. Is, is that a car you enjoyed on the twisty roads around New Zealand as well as the track? Or was it primarily a track-focused car that you used it for? No, not on twisty roads. So, so uh, the, the 996 GT3 is, was a love-hate relationship. I don't own it anymore. It is... Um, it is a car that, uh, you know, some people, if, if, if you get people sit there and say, oh, the new Porsches are a bit soulless, I don't have the character of an older Porsche. Yep. A 996 era GT3 has character on steroids. So it is a polarizing car that you either like or you don't like, you know, it's just, it's just raw and everything is more. And um, so, you know, the 996 GT3 is just amazing on the track. It is just, you know, when you're winding the thing out to 6,000, you know, sorry, 8,400 RPM and, and, you know, you're just, you're just going for it. You know, it's a magnificent car. You know, they are, that's what they're designed to do, you know, and that meets the engine and, and, and the sound and the rawness and, and, you know, even things like the, um, the harnesses pinging on the half cage and, and, yeah, yeah. and you know, when you turn into a driveway and you're lifting a front wheel because of the car, so, so taut in suspension, it does, it does all these wonderful things that in the appropriate place, it is just an amazing car. And it certainly has character, but um, on a B road in New Zealand, they are they're dangerous. Would be the word I would use. And and I have many 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 frightening moment stories. So I can remember when I first got it, and I was sort of uh, uh, showing off with a mate. We'd sort of just uh, we, yeah. we, we'd got a coffee each, and we were sitting off on a B road, and um, and I went over the brow of a hill, and I didn't know that it was a brow, and. Uh, the car literally got airborne and next minute his head's hitting the roof on the car and the coffee's going everywhere through the car and the wow. car kind of lands on a on a slight angle. Instead of landing at 12 o'clock, it kind of lands at about 10.30, kind of having to catch it and correct it. And um, so this wasn't us being idiots on the road. This is just us, you know, on a, on a B road where you can do 100 kilometres an hour or 63 miles an hour sort of thing, you know, just being caught out by a, a, a B road with a brow and, and the car not having the suspension travel to um, to, to cope with it. And um, there are a couple of instances on sort of B roads where the car was just too stiff to to cope with roads and when, because it was too stiff, it would become become dangerous. So right. it wasn't really it wasn't really a car I would use on, on B roads because of that. Do you think it's a mistake? You know how people, you know, everyone wants a GT car at the moment. You know what I mean? From the 991 GT3, all of a sudden everyone wants a GT, a GT, a GT car, GT3, GT2 RS. Do you think it's a mistake yeah. for people who haven't had a 911 before and go straight in and say, look, you know, I haven't had a 911. I want a GT3. I'm going to go buy a 996.1 or a 996.2 GT3. Do you think that's a mistake? Um, I don't ba know if it's based a mistake. On the, think... Based on the driving experience and, and you know, the nature of the car yeah the, the newer they get the softer they get so like a 991 gt3 i've not driven a gen 2 but i've driven a gen 1 pretty extensively on b roads in new zealand and um they're modern enough and the suspension's good enough that they'll cope with it so that's a that's a b road car that'll do it that'll do it all day long if i was to have any criticism it would be the the sheer size of it on a narrower road but right. um but but, and, and they all get progressively softer. So like with a 997.1, it's a little bit softer. And with a, with a you know, 997.2, it's a little bit softer again. Like I, I've got a friend who's got a, a 997.2 GD3 RS. And so, you know, okay. that's, that's the raw, still the raw. And I can remember going for a drive. I sort of drove into his house in my, in my 
6.2 and we went for a spin down the road in his one. I was thinking, gosh, this is quieter and, and the suspension software was far more compliant. So I think um, I think the 996 ones in particular are very raw and I think as they get newer, they get a bit softer. Yeah, it comes down to the pack that the, the 996.1, 996.2 GT3 or even the 997, which is what Steve has. You know, and I think James in a previous owner story said the same thing. He had the 997 GT3 and he had it for six months and then he sold it because it wasn't the right car to have just for driving around. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, it didn't, it didn't suit the purpose. Um, yeah. And I forget, I, I think what you said, I think what you said is, is it really does pinpoint the, the, the pluses and the minuses of those GT cars. I mean, they are a great car on the track, right? They are still a great car on the track. Um, when you hear from what James says, he says, you know, they're not, they're a bit soft compared to the cup car, but he's used to cup cars. Yeah. But when you use them on the road, you really do have to bear in mind, like you said, the roads where you live, you know, and, and, and all of that side of it. Uh, and I think that's, you know, because I know a lot of people want, you know, I, I, I want a GT3 as well, but I, I know it has its limitations. I've been in my mate Steve's car and I know its limitations. Um, but there's still something really appealing about that as a second car, right? Not as your main 911. Yeah. I, I think when it comes to Porsches, and it, and it is a bit of a case about a luxury about how many you can own, but you've got to, rather than sitting there saying, oh, I want a GT3 or I want a this or I want a that, I think you've got to sit there and say, the first thing you've got to do is sit there and say, what is the intent of this car and how am I going to use it? You know, for, and when I talk to friends, you know, Porsche club friends and, 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 you know, and we sort of sit there, we, we sit there and say, ideally you need three Porsches. You basically need a, a Sunday, uh, cars and coffee type car. It could be a three, five, six or a long hood and something that's really shiny and pretty and a pop color that everybody thinks, wow, that's cool. You know, but it might not drive particularly well. You know, it's, it's just, yeah. it's just, a, it's, it's mobile art. Yeah. And then you probably need a modern Porsche because you want something with heated seats that you can jump in and travel, you know, for half a day and get out of it and, and not feel like you need a nana nap afterwards because it's zapped you. And yeah. then, and then, you know, if you're doing track days, you actually need a race car. So you either need to go and get a proper race car that's, that is an out and out race car or, or, you know, go and get something that's very track focused. I think when things go wrong and it does come down to budget is when you try and make one car do many things because they don't really exactly certainly the older ones don't really do it well so if you're trying to get like say my old career three and trying to turn it into a track car a show pony for sundays and then jump on it and do 400 miles it's just it's just not going to happen but as they do get newer it kind of gets easier because you know the performance well you know they become so good that they'll naturally do things at the track etc but um but you've got to kind of sit there and say where do i live and 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 how am I going to use this car? So I think the other bugbear about the GT3 that I didn't like was because the gearing was so long. Um, the only time you could, I mean, like, I really like the 3.2 career around town because it's not particularly quick and I can be doing, you know, within the speed limit or a whisker over the speed limit and be riding through the gears and second of the gear and on it and in the, and in that talk band and, yeah. and, and, you know, you're, you're kind of having fun, but without, without being reckless. The problem with the GT3 was, I think it would do like 130 kilometers an hour in second gear. So unless you're at the racetrack, if you want to get sense of being on it yes. and, and and in that band and winding it out to 8,400 RPM or, or whatever it did, you know, the only time you could do it was on the exit of a motorway. And then basically what you're doing is you're, you're dropping the car into third gear and then hitting the brake, hoping there's no no cop pipe yeah. behind you sort yeah, of thing. True, because, true. because the car's just so quick. And then you sit, you know, 
I'm not saying I would do this. Let's just let's just say it was a closed road. Say you found a closed yeah. road in the back of nowhere where you could really put foot down and do 200 kilometers now. Well, the road's not designed to do that with a car like that. It'll it'll bounce and you know. So so you kind of sit there and say it was a magnificent car at the track, but off the track, you know, although it had all this character and charm and personality and a really strong DNA and what it was all about, it was just too compromised for the road. You know, it's not wife friendly. It's um. As, as the president of the Porsche Club, you have people, I'm guessing, contacting you all the time. You know, I'm guessing people are, are, are trying to pick your brain because you've had such a long Porsche history. Um, you're involved in, in Porsche community in New Zealand in a big way. And they yeah. come to you and they say, what, is, what, what do you think of me buying this car as my first 911? Should I get an air-cooled? Should I buy a, a 70s air-cooled that might be a little bit cheaper? Um, 60s ones are too expensive, I guess. But should I buy a, an air-cooled? Should I buy a 996 because the prices are down and they're starting to rise? What yeah. would you say is, is a perfect – and I know this is a really difficult question, Paul. But what would you say is a really good car for someone to get into Porsche? Do you think it's a 996? Do you think it's the Boxster? Do you think it's a, a cheap air-cooled if you can get a hold of one? So, so yeah, the, the answer is to yes to all of those. I think it depends on your budget because they all do sort of jump in – in ten to twenty thousand dollar bands, and you know, in New Zealand dollars, and um, it depends on whether you want an older car or a more modern car. So, you know, so so if we were to talk New Zealand dollars, and basically, uh, for those of you who are not New Zealanders, a, a, a New Zealand dollar is worth about seventy cents American at the moment. To give you a, a quick conversion, so like if somebody said, "Oh, my budget's up to fifty k," I'd probably recommend a Cayman or a Boxster, or if they were wanting a 911, well, then the, the only options are uh, a 996. You know, if, if it's a little bit more money than that, you know, if you sort of had like, say, $80,000 New Zealand, um, and they said they wanted a 911, I would sit there and say, well, probably an SC or a, a 997.1 is, is uh, a really good uh, entry point car, depending on whether you want to go older school or new school. Um, good choice, Paul. You know, good choice. <laughs> yeah, well, I reckon the 997.1s are, are, are sleepers. You know, they are they're undervalued. They're, they're, they're clearly at the yep. bottom of the depreciation curve, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I love mine. That's a, it's a great car when I get yeah. to drive it, but it's a great car. That's good advice. That's good advice. So you've got your, you've got your 3.2 uh, Carrera. You've got it in, yeah. in Guards Red. Uh, you've still got the 996 GT3. And then yeah. you go, okay, so this, the GT3, that's, that's it. Do you, do, you, do you sell it because you need something, you want to get something better, you want to get an RS, you want to get something faster, or do you go in a different direction? Um, so I, um, so the 996 GT3, as I said, was a bit of a polarizing ownership experience. There were moments of, of ecstasy and moments of fear. And um, I, um, I had an accident with, at the track where, um, where basically um, the front, brakes failed on it and I basically went straight off the track and, and um, into a tyre wall oh, wow. and um, probably had it at about a good 80 kilometres an hour and right. um, and that um, that was a, that was a scary moment. I, I came out okay and the, uh, I, I, in New Zealand on track days, it was a track day, it wasn't racing, we, you can get track day insurance so it's got a, a fairly hefty excess on it but um, but I didn't have the bill for the repair of the car and um and that was kind of a little bit of a scary moment on it. And then I found there were a couple of other. Like, so I got the car fixed, and I I, I kept doing track days on it. And what I what I found was that um, that in trying to keep up with other people with 996 GT3s and and whatnot, there I was 
I was probably over driving a little bit and when the car goes it's pretty hard to catch so I kind of had you know I had that one which was a scary moment which I didn't escape and then I kind of had a couple of other scary moments which I I did manage to escape and I kind of wondered whether whether you know I was just sort of pushing a bit hard and and you know denting the car is one thing but denting yourself is another thing yeah yeah and and you're sort of going to the track with uh, you know, a New Zealand dollars, a $120,000 car. And, um, and, you know, there might be a day where it's not insured, where I do something that makes it where, where the insurance doesn't, doesn't pay off and you're like, could I afford to take a $130,000 hit and walk away from it? And the answer was, um, probably not. I'd, I'd be a bear with a very sore foot if yeah. I, if I wrote the car off and, 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 you know, I would, I would, that's a bit of soul searching and very hard to explain to the wife how you wrote $130,000 yeah, off. True. Um, so the car was so the car was repairable. It was repairable, yeah. and it was fully covered yeah. by insurance. Correct. So you get so it. Re- so then you get it repaired, and then you think maybe I shouldn't keep this anymore. Yeah, correct. So so I sold it, and then for about eighteen months, I was I was just running around on the three point two Carrera, and sort of put my track day shoes up, and um, and then I got a a nine four race car, and. Um, and thought that was a better way of going about it. It's, you know, I could do the Porsche race series. There's um, classic racing series in New Zealand and I could do track days in it as well. So it was a multi, a multi-purpose car. And, you know, if I biffed it, you know, you're biffing $25,000, $30,000. And yeah, that hurts, but it's not $130,000 hurt. Sorry, so, Paul, what, um, what year was that? What was the car? 944. It's a, it's a 1990 944 S2. 944 so, S2. Yeah, so it's basically... Uh, a road-going car that's been stripped out and modified to become a race car. So it's a standard engine with a chip. It's got slightly bigger brakes on it. It's got track suspension, and it's all stripped out, you know, head to toe with a full full cage in it and a race seat. So did you find that more enjoyable on the track than the GT3? Um, I did, actually. I found it more enjoyable than I thought. I, I kind of always was a bit nervous that it was going to be underpowered, you know, because you kind of hit the back straight with the GT3 and the 385 horsepower or whatever it is kicks in and it, and it goes like the clappers and and I know it was quicker in a straight line than a 944 race car and it was quicker doing a lap than a 944 race car right but the thing with race when you're doing track days you're basically kind of out there by yourself you know you there is a little bit of gentleman's racing where you might be might be someone on a similar powered car or you get the joy of overtaking something that's slower and um but when you're racing, it's different because you're going into a corner with three abreast cars, and 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 it's it's more intense, more aggressive, more more. The the lack of speed is made up in other ways because it's um it's you've got other things in close proximity to right. other cars. Other it's more more about it, more 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 craft to the process. You're not when you're when you're in a road going car and you're you're trying to do that. You're you're trying to get better and better and hone your skills to do the the fastest lap that you can you know you perfect lines when you're racing uh perfect lines are great when you've not got anybody behind you um or, or or immediately in front of you but when you're racing your lines those sort of perfect lines all go out the door because you're you're trying to block you know if you took perfect lines you know someone would just dive up the inside of you under yeah. braking so, yeah. so it's a totally it's a totally different driving technique so do you still own that you you don't still own that car now do you no, I sold it. I sold it because um, I, I just I didn't use it. So I, I kind of owned it three years, and I think I did about three track days on it. I think I did about three race weekends on it, and um, 
it was just sitting there in a storage shed and I was paying rent on it and you know you're paying you're paying for it to uh, be regularly maintained and it just wasn't it wasn't kind of really being used so right. I kind of thought it was uh, it's, it's just I just sort of reached I, you, you keep telling yourself oh yeah I'll get around to using it I'll get around to doing this I'll get around to doing that and um, and life was just sort of getting in the way with family and other car events and work and and it was sitting there doing nothing. So I, I recently made the decision to um, uh, sell it and move it on. Also, oh, only recently you got rid of that car. Correct. And then, okay, so you got the Carrera. So then, what what follows? What's do you need another okay. Porsche in your garage? Yeah. yeah. So I've got one other Porsche in my garage, and this is it's a current Porsche, and this is my, I guess, the last Porsche in my in my Porsche series of cars that I that I've owned to date, and that is a. Um, I've got a 997.2 GTS uh, six-speed manual. Yeah, I know, so, which is beautiful um, in your pictures, I have to say. And I was going to ask you that question, whether it was manual, because I don't think you told me in the in the post. Yeah, it's, got, it's, got to, it's got to be manual, mate. And this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing about the GTS. Why is it that the, that the New Zealand market received manuals and the Australian market only received PDKs in the 997 we, GTS? We didn't. You didn't? We didn't. I've, I've, I've imported this car to the UK. Oh, you imported it from the UK. Um, yeah. so, so there's a bit of a story with that one. So, so, so I've had the I've had the nine to just those kind of recap the overlapping. I've had the three point two Carrera for about five years now, right. and um, that that won't go anywhere. It's it's in my wife's name, so that I can't be silly and <laughs> sell it one day. I've got to come up with a really really compelling reason. For that car to be sold. Are you sure that's uh, the reason why it's in your wife's name, Paul? It's not your wife's favorite car. Yeah, she does like it the most. She, she, she's, it's, you know, she likes that. She likes the fact that it's a classic, and she says it's a Porsche with proper headlights. So I won't, I won't tell you what she calls Porsches with, without the traditional headlights. <laughs> I'm interested. But, um, in, I'm interested in this GTS, and I'm interested in. Uh, yeah. Keep going, but I'm also interested in how you can import a car. That is under thirty years old. So in New Zealand, we have different rules. You could actually import a, a brand new Porsche into New Zealand if you wanted to. So, um, so, so you got to pay taxes and everything else. But there's no, there's no, um, no uh, input rules with regards to age. So, okay. Um, so you've you've. Um, so yeah, so so a long story short, I had the 3.2 Carrera for a long time, and the problem, as much as I love that car and it's beautiful, it goes back to that story about what a car does and what its purpose is. So the 3.2 Carrera is uh, is uh, a trip down memory lane, so that I can remind myself of the 10 year old me when I sort of first discovered Porsches, and they're in the garage with Dad, and and um, that's what a quintessential 911 is to me. It's a it's a very pretty car to my eye. It's something that's very. Uh, special and personal and it's something that i cherish it's a it's definitely a cherished car um that i don't think i'd ever sell but it has its shortcomings it is what is it 35 years old knocking on 35 years old and it's 30 30 33 years old so 33 year old technology it's not particularly fast if you if you were to do a sunday drive and it's been two hours driving somewhere jump out for lunch and then two hours driving home i'm going to be knackered i'm going to need an afternoon nap and um you know, you're not keeping up with a, a more modern Porsche. So if my if I've got friends who are wanting to do uh, a weekend away and they're taking the more modern cars, they just I'm not really part of that. They'll blow me into the tumbleweeds. Yeah, because it's, it's an old car. It's it's a you know, it's a it's a classic car. And um, so so what I was thinking was I needed a more modern Porsche, and um, 
you know, I had a budget in mind. My budget at the time was um, about 150,000 New Zealand. And, um, and you're sort of sitting there saying, well, I want a more modern Porsche. Um, if I'm brutally honest with you, I'm probably more of an air-cooled guy than a water-cooled guy. I do yeah. tend to lean that way. And you're sort of sitting there saying, what do I get for that sort of money that's a special Porsche? What, 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 what floats my boat? And um, so I didn't, I didn't particularly want to do another GT3, even, uh, even though as much as I really, really like like 997.1 and 0.2 GT3s and, and could happily have one in the garage, they're just a too compromised vehicle for what I wanted to use this car for. And um, I tried a 991, you know, and, and um, no disrespect to 991s, but I just find that platform too big. Right. And um, sorry, I think you're hearing my dog in the back. No, it's okay. No trouble. Um, and, um, and, you know, so you're sort of sitting there saying, what do you, what do you, what do you get? And I've, I've always thought to my eye, the 997.2 is the prettiest of the uh, water-cooled 911. So I, I find it a very attractive car. I like, I really, really like the tail end with the lights, the way they flick up. I, yep. um, you know, I, I like the front end on them. I, I, to my eye, uh, it's no disrespect to your car, but I just find them a bit prettier than the <laughs> Gen 1, you know, and, but you pay for the, you pay for it, you know? And, and so I, um, so I kind of thought this was a great car. And at the same time, I was sort of toying up whether I got like a 997.1 turbo because I could get a manual one of those. And, okay. and they are something that is in New Zealand. And um, I kind of, the more I sort of looked and, and searched things, I kind of, I kind of uh, set myself on a, on a 997 GTS uh, and, and a manual one. So I like the look of them. I like the fact they've got the X51. They've, they've got the wide body on it. The, Fantastic the black car. detailing is just, yeah. you know, the Alcantara. I know it, it's not a GT3. It's certainly not, you know, it's not a Mexico engine. You really know, you know, it's it's a nine. A, a Mexican engine versus a stock 911 engine, they are chalk and cheese. And a Mexican engine is something a whole lot more and a bit more special, you know, in the way it revs. But, um, but it's kind of, I sort of sit there and tell myself it's like the happy medium between the two cars you know and um and so i sort of set myself to to wanting one of these and there were so in new zealand only four new uh 997 gts's came in and they were wow. all pdk <clears throat> yeah and they're all pretty highly prized cars and don't really come up for sale you know i know three of the owners and they didn't they don't want to sell them you know they've owned them either since new or near new and they 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 are perfectly happy with them and then there was one imported uh, manual car that came out of the UK, and um, again, I'd sort of, I sort of spied it at the dealership when I was getting my car service, you know, over the years, and I kind of pestered through the dealership for them to make contact with the owner and see if he'd consider selling it. And yep. um, you know, they finally uh, humoured me in contacting the owner, and the owner sort of said, you know, the owner actually came up with quite an interesting uh, scenario, and, and I guess it's where I get to a bit with the car. They sort of sit there and say, well, I could sell it. Yep. And then they go, well, what am I going to replace it with? And, and whatever I replace it with is going to cost me. And, you know, back at the time, the 911, the 991.2 911 Carrera T had just come out. And he sort of said, well, that might be something that's kind of comparable. And he says, but that's like $150,000, $160,000 more. It's like yeah. twice the money. And he sort of sits there and says, is it twice the car? No, I'll just happily keep the one I've got, thanks. And um, so um, basically, I think like most other people, I, I, I search um, – overseas websites to see what other cars are for sale and, and what's going on and what's happening and and being a right-hand drive market spend a lot of time probably like you do on piston heads yep. and um and there was basically so when uh, did you get this car how long ago was this how long ago did you buy it October last year 
it, well, I might have, I might have brought it beforehand. I think it landed in October. I'm trying to so work out. I'm trying to work out, and I I do look at this, and I can't even think of the, the current price in 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 the UK. Um, as you know, I'm in the UK at the moment, and I always look at Auto Trader UK. Um, but they're not that common either in the UK. They're quite hard to find, aren't they? A 997 yeah. uh, GTS. Um, I still the manual think, ones. Yeah. Yeah, the manual always- ones especially, and they they are. I still see them as you know. Let's just compare it to the Sport Classic, even though it's a different car. Um, yeah. The 997 uh, GTS is is still underrated. It's still, you know, it, you can still get them at an okay price. I remember the last time I was looking, I thought they were around seventy thousand pounds. Am I wrong? Is that how much they cost? Yeah, they are. They were they were pushing at the at the peak of that at that uh, of, we'll call it the the Porsche bubble. You know, eighteen months ago, two years ago, I think they might have been pushing seventy seventy five thousand pounds. You know, yeah. and I think I think when they do come up for sale now. They're probably about sixty-five thousand pounds, sixty, sixty-five thousand um, pounds. Does so New Zealand? Car, does New? Sorry, Paul. Does New Zealand have luxury car tax as per Australia? So if you import this in, you have no. to pay duty and luxury car tax. You just pay duty, so it's just like a GST duty, is it? Correct. Yeah, GST. So, so the formula in New Zealand is you basically do the the currency conversion and. Um, you pay 15%, oh, you, you import the car. So by the time you've imported the car in and uh, complied it and paid all the insurances and everything along the way, it's probably about 10 grand Kiwi on top of the purchase price. Okay. And then you pay GST or 15% over the top of everything. So so like if you took my GTS, for example, I got lucky on that one. I, I sourced it through a, a UK broker, a car sourcing person and um he found it privately and I got it for a pretty good price at the time. I think I got it for 62,000 pounds. That's good. And the New Zealand dollar was pretty high at the moment. That was, that was kind of when Brexit was in and the pound was really soft. And, um, yeah, and well, I PD, basically. PDK versions, I noticed when they came up in Australia on car sales and there was only a couple. And this is PDK, which is obviously not the same value, I don't think, as the manual. And they yep. were hitting 200K Australian. They were around 200K Australian, I think. At one point, there, yeah. the last one that came yeah. up, or 200, 210, something Australian. So they're getting up there now. Yeah, spectacular money. <laughs> I think yeah. in New Zealand, um, the manual, oh, sorry, the PDK 997s sell for about 120, 130 Kiwi. Just uh, So by the time you converted that to Aussie, it's about 100, 110 Aussie. <laughs> yeah, I know, which is so much cheaper. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> What are the so, importing? Um, I'm trying to think now. What are the importing rules from New Zealand to Australia? Can you? Australia still uh, has the still has the cap. It's still difficult with Australia because of the um, age of the car. And if you I think it's not about country, to change in Australia. I, I think it's 25 years, but aren't they about to change that now? And all of that sort of it's going to drop in the near future. Yeah, I know they have been talking about it. I'm not sure if it if it has actually gone through. Because um, it'll be interesting because 964s and 993s in New Zealand kind of sit in that 25-year period now and they sell for a lot less money in New Zealand than they do in Australia. So the reason to see whether Australians start poaching cars out so, of New Zealand. So I'm, I'm, I always thought, and I, mem- I used to work, have you know, business relationships with people in, in New Zealand, and I always thought that the cars in New Zealand in general were more expensive than Australia. Is that new cars only, is it? I always thought they were much yeah. more expensive. I remember someone bought an RS4 and I thought it was quite a lot of money. Maybe I was mistaken. So they're not as, they're not as expensive as a new car in new cars in, in New Zealand in general. Uh, I'd have to be care- I'd have to do a bit of research on that one. I'm not sure. I don't think there's too much of a difference. The thing is, okay. um, we, 
the new cars are a bit tricky because on the new cars you've got to factor the volume of cars that are being sold and New Zealand's a smaller market than Australia right right but um but I do know with uh, used cars because you can't import used cars into Australia so easy all you can do is buy the ones that are there whereas in New Zealand you can you can basically pull a car out of the UK so mm, that's great um, that's or a Australia great alternative. Yeah. So, so so all you're doing is you're taking um, the New Zealand you're taking the British pound price of the car at the moment, yep. multiplying it by two to put it into Kiwi dollars, adding $10,000 to put it on a container and getting it here and then putting a 15% tax across the top of it. As, yeah, so as, I think that, I think that's, time. yeah, I think that's, sorry, Paul, I think that's pretty similar. I mean, I've been looking because I've been looking at 912s and I've been looking at another, other thing, other cars here in the UK. And I think when I go into some site that I found some shipping site and they give you the whole details for Australia, I think it's about the same except Australia puts that luxury car tax on if it's over 60000 or whatever it is. So they give you another bump of money you have to pay. Um, but yeah. that's if it's 30 years old. If it's if it's under 30, year, 30 years old, then you have to pay a lot more. Um, unless yeah. it's on the exception, there's a, Australia has that exception list, which I think the 360 Modena is on it and there's a few cars on it. That I forget what it's called, special register or something, where there's certain cars yeah. you don't have to live in the UK. It doesn't have to be over 30, year olds, 30 years old and you can still import them into Australia. So that's, yeah. I know there's some cars on that list, but it's very limited. It's a very limited list. It's not, there's not a lot of cars on there. I think the 360 is probably the, one of the few that you would actually buy. I just want to I, I just want to talk about because I think the 997 the 997 GTS is a great car. Like I have to say, owning a 997, it's one of those, and especially and like I said in Australia, I don't I don't even look at them that much because they are PDK. But the manual ones, like in the UK here, I think they're just a fantastic you know fantastic looking 997, like you said. So you sorry. sorry? I was just going to say they're devastatingly quick on B roads. They're, they're kind of the polar opposite of the the GT3 because the thing I really like about the car is um, it's actually the suspension and its ride. It rides really really well, and um, that you know it just carries bumps and B roads and curves and things just just beautifully. You can you can you can boogie on a B road and um, and not not bounce around the road. I can find that in my car. I can keep up with 992s and 991s and and things, you know, pretty easily, you know. Although they although they're 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 faster cars, so it travels well well on a B road. Um, the, you know, the 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 other thing I really really like about it, I don't know if the gearing's special. I'd have to check it if it's any different to like a a, a 997.2 C2S. But the it's a short shifter, right? The the GTS is a short shifter. Yeah, and but the third. Fourth and fifth gears are um, are really close. So, like in the in the GT3, you get like a huge rev drop between the gears. You'd really notice it. Right. But I find in this car, um, you know, you can be doing like a hundred kilometers an hour, and and the difference between third and fourth gear is only like three or four hundred RPM, and the difference between, you know, fourth and fifth is only sort of three three or four hundred RPM. So you you can kind of when you're grabbing the gears and going through the gears, it's like it's just a it's a rapid torque response it's like it's like you feel like it's like a close uh, ratio gearbox okay you know and, and I, I just really like it when you sort of get it get on it a little bit and those 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 gears on on you know are, are, are close together so I really, really like that I only I kind of I've done a couple of months but is, is the GTS is the GTS now up there with one of the favorite Porsches you've owned yeah I do as far as modern Porsches go yeah because it's um it's it is kind of a it's I think it's a pretty car and it's it's just 
you know, it's a little bit special with the X51 engine. You know, it's got mm. 400 horsepower. Yeah, you know, so, so it's, it, it'll boogie and and it just it looks special. You know, I think. You know, I know, I know everything is a GTS now. You know, you can get a GTS <laughs> yeah. to all the Porsche models and, and whatnot. But when Porsche did that one, that was sort of like the first of the GTSs, and it was like a special run-out car. And it was, you know, I know it was them going through taking a, a a C2S, putting a wide body on it, and ticking a whole lot of options at, at a discounted rate to achieve something that was special. But the 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 sum of all those parts make it um, something quite special. I think you know. Yeah. It's, I agree. To my knowledge, it's, it's basically the same running gear and same car as a as a as a sport classic or or a speedster of the time. You know, it's the same. It's the same wide body gear, suspension, etc. So I think you know, that's the point, though, Paul. I think that's the the crucial point that you just said, and I was going to mention it when I was trying to overtalk you. Then, um, it think of the sport classic, think of the speedster, the nine nine seven speedster. This is what the GTS is. It was the same time. It's being it's being done at the same time. It was the last of the it was the last of the nine nine sevens, right? It was done at the end of the run. And you know, the Sport Classic is is you know, I mean, the one in the UK that was up for auction a couple of weeks ago, which didn't sell at auction. I noticed. I think it's the same one that's gone to a dealer. I think it's about two hundred and thirty nine thousand pounds. Um, but I think at that auction they wanted something like two hundred and eighty thousand pounds estimate. Um, but there yeah. is one selling for two thirty, so they're not getting the money. I mean, speedsters yeah. are different things. Speedsters, everyone wants a speedster now. But that's what I keep thinking that, you know, the 997 GTS is, and it was special at the time because the GTS uh, variant wasn't really as, you know, it wasn't through all the models as it is now. Uh, it was like yeah. that special, special car. And I still think it is a really collectible car. It's one of those, one of those 997s that you really don't want to, it's a car you want to hang on to, Paul. You know, that car. It really yeah. is a car you want to hang on to, don't you think? Yeah. I agree. So my cars are even even got a little bit, you know, it's it's the it's the two wheel drive version. It's not the four wheel drive version. Yeah, it's which is a, even better. <laughs> it's a very light car, so it's not it's not got a sunroof. You know, it's it's actually quite light on options. I think some some Porsche purists would probably want a car that's probably more highly optioned than my car. You know, it's it's it doesn't have the extended leather through it. You know, it's 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 basically. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a performance-focused car. It's only got two options. One is it's got um, an LSD in it, which is not common in them, and it's got white dials instead of black. And, okay. and from what I can see, those are the only two special options when someone's gone through it. When I first got it, it didn't even have Sport Chrono in it, but but it's a software package that you can buy. I've actually put it in the car. I haven't put the the, the clock on the dash. I'm I'm actually not personally a fan of the clock on the dash, but I've put the I've put the oh Sport the software Chrono. update the software update Correct. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that does does show up in the car. I did I did notice it. It's not not to the same degree as like a PDK. When you've got Sport Corner and a PDK, it's like holy cow! You put it in Sport Plus, and it's like you, it's it's like day and night. Whereas in a manual, uh, or in my manual car, and and I've also heard or read similar feedback from other people around the world with these cars. When you put the pack in, it's it's not a, a night and day difference, but it does. It just sharpens it a little bit. You, it you sharpens the throttle it. response, doesn't it? I was looking at this yeah. actually for my car, where you get the you get the software. It's a software update, yeah. and you get the the panel on your yeah. dash, and it has the sport yeah. button, right? Which it's worth and, it. So, yeah, so, and they say it works better with PDK, but with the manual, they said it does actually change. It obviously works better when you've got a sports exhaust, though, doesn't it as well? Which I'm sure. Does your car have a sports the Porsche sports exhaust? Yes, option? it does. It does have the sports exhaust? Yeah. And that's what turned me against not getting that option for my base Carreros because my car didn't have the PSE. And I, I did I don't read. Think it, I don't, you don't think it I, makes I, a difference? I'd still do it. Yeah, no, I'd still do it because it, 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 
it sharpens this accelerator and uh, it also sharpens the handling. You just notice it, you feel it, it's more nimble, it's more agile. And um, sometimes I wonder, maybe this is this is just me and my naivety and wishful thinking, is look, yeah. when, when, when the car's not in sport mode and you, because I'll lead on to a couple of other mods that I did, like when, so, I'll start from the beginning. So when I first brought the car, you know, I thought it was wonderful. When I drove it, so I brought this car sight unseen. It was basically, I relied on a broker in the UK to source it for me. He took literally 101 photos. I took it to an OPC. I got them to to do a inspection on it. It had a full OPC history and 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 I kind of had confidence with um, all of that to buy to buy something sight unseen because I, I don't have two weeks to go to the UK and, and run all over the countryside trying to find a car. And then once you've brought a car, figure out how I take it somewhere to a port to put it on a boat and get it to New Zealand. It's just a, it's just I don't have the luxury of that time. So, so, um, so I used a broker. I brought a, a car sight unseen, and I'm quite a conservative guy and a bit of a fussy guy when it comes to cars. So that was a big. It was a big leap for me. But, is that the um, first time you've done that? Bought a car sight yeah. unseen? It's the first time. Yes, it is. And the broker yep. organized, just for people that are interested, so the broker organized, he found the car for you, he charges yep. you an X amount of fee or whatever to do this, and he organizes yep. all the export paperwork and shipping and everything? Correct. He has a shipping company yep. that he uses? Yeah, and, it, and it's a brilliant service. So basically, you know, I, I, you, you know, you, you, with him, you, you basically sit there and say, I've seen something in Piston Heads and it's sitting in a dealership or it's sitting in the middle of nowhere. Can you go have a look at it? And um, you have to pay for them for the day to jump in their car and go and look at it and yep. eyeball it. And um, and they'll sit there and send you some photos and take it for a drive and give you an opinion. And then um, and then from there, basically, I had to pay for him to take it to an OPC and and get it up on a hoist and, and go through and backwards and make sure it hadn't had accident damage or being a UK car there wasn't any signs of rust it's you know it's, mine's a 2011 so when I bought it, it was kind of an eight-year-old car so it's not new but it's not old you know it's kind of been there long enough where it could be starting to get signs of rust and um, so basically you know you want them to go through it forwards and backwards and make sure it's a, a good car and then um, and then basically they they even handle the payment for you so basically I, I give them the money they pay for it they get the title of it and um and then basically they take the car they got it groomed and clean so that you don't so when you because you know you, it can't have dirt and and stuff underneath it it's got to be clean when it comes into the country for yeah. you know for quarantine sort of inspections sorry paul so how how do you find that this person you found there's a lot of trust involved here i mean people hearing this yeah. story you're going well there's a lot of trust you're sending him the money you're trusting his experience with the car so how do you find how did you find this person was it someone that a friend had used before or did you read yeah, it through, on through word of mouth so, so he he brought cars in for for other friends of mine in new zealand and basically i I saw the quality of a couple of cars that he brought in and I saw, I kind of got to live the the process, you know, vicariously through other friends and what, what, what cars got turned down and, yep. and why. And, and basically that, and when I saw a car that was an older car, you know, this was a 2010 Boxster Spider, you know, cause, cause again, there's only a couple of those in New Zealand. And if you want one, it's just not going to magically appear, you know, whereas you can, you can go and jump on piston heads and there's five of them for sale. Yeah. So so basically he brought that in and I got to look at that car and I was like, you know, gosh, that's in really good condition and, and a really good car and I would own that. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of, and he gave rave reviews on the process. So I kind of got trust, if that makes sense, through yeah. someone else going first. I, I wasn't the guinea pig. Okay. So, so, um, so yeah, so, so, um, yeah, yeah. So, so it was, you know, when, when you live in countries where there's very few 
Porsches, you know, certainly older ones, you know, it's easier to get a new one because a new one you can you can order whatever you like. But so your but your car arrived, ones, your car arrived, and you were obviously there was no problem with it at all, right? This the no, we've got really stringent uh, registration rules in New Zealand. You know, the cars have got to be original, unmodified, no rust, no nothing. The car sailed through. Perfect. Perfect. So it was a very easy process. And for people who are people who are listening to this from you know Australia or New Zealand and are thinking you know I mean I'm lucky at the moment because I'm in the UK and I just sort of scour things and think I can go and have a look at it if I want to, but I know it's it's always it's a difficult process and it's a difficult thing to trust someone. So it's it's good that you have a recommendation. You know that other people have used this person and they work really well. With, with the fee side of it, is it? And I don't want you to divulge how much you paid for the guy, but I mean, the fee side of it, is it a set fee as in a dollar amount, including traveling? Or is it, do you work it out like a percentage of the cost of the car? How, how, are, the, how are the fees um, for this sort of service? No. Are they expensive? It, a, it was a flat fee for him to buy the car on your behalf. And then I think you pay him a per time fee for him to go and have a look at a car. So have the car... So, so I think he's based in the south of London. So if he's having a look at something that's only 30 minutes up the road, you know, he'd probably look at it in, you know, a couple of hours. And um, but if you're if you're sending him to Scotland or 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 the top of England and he's got to jump on a plane or or, okay. or spend a day there. So, so it's it, I think that first inspection, what I'm trying to say is uh commensurate to to his effort. But once you once you buy a car, um I believe it's a flat fee. So I've only got I can only explain on on two cars that I've seen, you know, my friends and, and mine, you know, if, if it was a half a million dollar car or, or a million dollar car, I'm not sure if the fee would be more, but it's, it's to my knowledge, it's not a percentage of the purchase price. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, so I want to, uh, let's, uh, so you have the, I want to go back to the 87. Um, I want to go back to the 87 um, 3.2 that you have the red one. Yeah. And I want you to tell the listeners, cause I know this already. And, I'd like to tell you, at the time when this car came out, the 87, and I'm guessing the other car you have in your garage, which I am a fan of, and, <laughs> yeah. and I'm a big the fan of them. In fact, it's very funny you sent me that image because I and all my Porsche friends are going to be upset with me as well, I'm sure, when I say this. But I have actually been just watching the values of those in the UK compared to the yeah. US. So tell the listeners what you bought. And then I want to know the comparison because we're talking about the same era here and almost cars that were in competition with each other in a way in a way, yeah. with the two. And I'm guessing yours is a pre-ABS or it's an ABS version? Pre-ABS, yeah. So yeah. so, uh, so I have another car in my stable. So at the moment, I've got the, the G50 Carrera and the 997 GTS. And the other car I've got in my stable at the moment is a 1987 uh, Ferrari 328 GTS. So, Which um, is beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful car. So I... Look, I love Ferrari 308s slash 328s to my when when I was a kid, that was the Ferrari. I watched Magnum PI with my dad, yeah. you know, for several years and and, and same as me. Own, same as me, Paul. It's one of those cars, those cars you just it's just the the time when you're growing my, up. Yeah, you've nailed it on the head. So look, I know Contashes and, and Testarossas and things are, are you know are, are the supercars of that era. But to my eye, a Ferrari 308 was just a thing of beauty and something that I lusted after and something I had matchbox toys and, and built models of as a kid. And, you know, when I was 12 years old and, and 328s were the car of that era, you know, I remember building the, the Tamiya model or whatever it was. And, and, and it was just something that, that I lusted after, you know, it's just, it's just something that moves me. Mm. So I've always, always, always wanted, as much as I love Porsches, I've always, always wanted a, 
308 slash 328 Ferrari. You know, I would I would love a Ferrari 2416 as well or a 512, but they're kind of unobtainium for me. And um, and you know, so I kind of had reached a point in life where where um, I could get one. So I got one. Uh, I actually got I, with my wife's permission. I actually got the 328 uh, just after I got the the 997. So I think I brought the 997. Um, I think I brought it in about June 2019, but it took about three months to get here. And then the 328. Uh, did you source that from New Zealand or did you source it out of the US or the UK? No, no, it came from New Zealand. So, um, so the one that I, the one that I ultimately, ultimately want is a 308 GTS QV. That's the, that's the, the perfect poster car. But in New Zealand, there are only eight of those, I think, something like that. And um, they just never come up for sale. So basically, I've spent uh, the best part of 10 years twice a week on piston heads uh, searching 308s and dreaming of going over there one day for a holiday and and buying one and, and bringing one back because they can't be had here. And um, the the problem with that is that as much as that's a romantic dream, I don't have two weeks to go over there and do that and then yeah. find out I'm disappointed because everything looks pretty in a photo and we put it up on a hoist, it's full of rust. And um so a long story short, there was a, uh, it's actually an Australian new car that was brought by a New Zealander who brought it into New Zealand as a tourist delivery. Okay. Um, but it's a UK spec car. It's not an Australian spec Ferrari. It doesn't have cats in it. And, um, oh, okay. And um, so how basically that, there's a car that's- How did that happen? Uh, we don't know. It's a really, really interesting mystery. We think the original owner of the car has now passed away. So we don't know the- we don't know the full story behind it, but he he brought the car in 1987. It's got a service stamp at uh, at the local Ferrari dinner in Australia with 1,500 kilometres on it. Um, he also owned a, a, a freight company and he's based in New Zealand, but he owned a freight company where he would uh, transport things to Australia, the islands in America. And okay. um, the car has a bit more of an interesting story because it, it we know it was in Australia for the first year or two. And then... Um, it's not registered in New Zealand until uh, 1993, and we think somewhere between 88, 89, and 1993, it spent time in America because the guy had that was the other end of his business when he was importing items. So it went to America, and there's folklore from people who kind of knew him in the car back then that it never got used in America because he used to get pulled over for being in a right-hand drive car in a left-hand drive country, and they couldn't quite figure that out. And um, and then basically it, it came back to New Zealand. And he sold it uh, about five years ago. And then um, um, I actually remember it coming up for sale at the time, but but it was sort of beyond my means back then. And, and then it kind of went through a couple of hands. And the hands it went through were people, uh, one of them was in the Porsche club, so I kind of knew him. Right. And um, and then it went to uh, a guy who was into Ferraris and, and I kind of met him at a car show and um, we just sort of started talking and I, and we did a swap one day where he let me drive a 328 and I let him drive the 3.2 Carrera as a comparison. And um, there's a bit of a bit of a funny story there because he ended up selling the 328 to buy one of these New Zealand new really? GTSs in PD, PDK after driving my one. And then um, and then I went to the dealership three or four weeks later and brought his Ferrari. So um, perfect. Yeah, so so it's it's very so incestuous. I think 
you know, I think it's interesting talking about Ferrari on, on you know, when we're talking about Porsches all the time because, you know, it is the it is the competitor in a way and it was in the 80s it was, you know, people were buying I guess your 3.2, some people had the SC. I mean, SC is a little bit earlier and then you know, the 308, 328. So it's a, a comparable. And it seems now at the moment, those prices of a 328, and I'm, I'm not saying about the price of yours, but the 328, yeah. whether in the US, I mean, the ones that come up and bring a trailer, I mean, some of them are at 40, which are probably not great, but they seem to range from like 40 to 70,000 US dollars. And there's a lot yeah. in that middle 50 to 55,000 US dollar mark, um, just to give yeah. people an idea that don't know much about the values. And then in the UK, they're looking there. It seems like there's a there's a whole heap at the moment that are for sale for around fifty nine thousand um, yeah. pounds. Fifty nine thousand pounds. Once you get it into Australia, is about probably one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty thousand Australian dollars. Um, yeah. And to put this into perspective, I, I don't know whether you saw it or you're looking at other uh, car sales in Australia very often. But there was a three two eight that came up for sale there two weeks ago, a red one, and it sold pretty quickly. And it was a UK import, and they wanted one sixty five for it. Um, I think it had about 40, 50,000 kilometers on it, and that was 165. But then the market, like Porsche market, you know, there's, a, there's always the extremes. And there was also another, there's also another one which is still sitting there, which is a low mileage example. I think it's a non-ABS as well. It could be an ABS, but it's, they want 330,000 Australian dollars for it. You know, so there's a, yeah. there's a big like gap. That. There's a big gap there when you're looking at these cars, and I guess it's the same as Porsche. Um, yeah. But... For someone who is a you know is is so passionate about Porsche and you have a Ferrari, what is it like when you're driving, when you've driven the three point two, Paul, and then you drive the three two eight? Is there is there similarities or are they completely miles apart? And I think that's what a lot of people listening would be interested in. Yeah, it's a really good question. It's a question that everybody asks me. You know, which one's better and which one do you like more, and and all of those you know all those types of questions. So. How do I answer that? So, um, as a driving experience, you know what I mean. As the feeling when you're sitting in that car, does the Ferrari, like, you know, does the Ferrari feel more special? Yeah, it does. So, so to answer that question, the Porsche is a better built car. The Porsche would be faster around town. It's lighter. It's more nimble. It puts the power down quicker. Um, uh, do you feel too conspicuous the in the Ferrari? A lot of people say that. You know, I know the. Uh, you know, Steve's uncle had one and he had a 430, sorry. Steve's uncle had a 430 and he sold it recently uh, yeah. and bought a 911 again. Um, and it was because you are a little bit conspicuous. You are a little bit on show all the time. Do you feel that? Or you feel like with an older car, yeah, an yeah, older yeah, 80s funny. one, it's not as bad? So, so people know it's a Ferrari because it's a quintessential Ferrari shape. Everybody thinks that Magnum type era car is what a Ferrari should look like to, to a certain age. Um I think with a modern Ferrari, unless it's painted red and got prancing horses all over it, you might not necessarily know it's a Ferrari. could be a Maserati. Um, yeah. People know it's a Ferrari because it's a quintessential Ferrari shape from uh, from basically close to a 20-year period. Um, you do get photos. So, like, you'll stop at the lights and you'll get someone sit there and uh, pull out their iPhone and take a photo of it. Or you'll drive on the motorway and you'll get, like, pictures of somebody taking photos out the, you know, out the side, at the side of it. I, yeah. I... Uh, when you first get it, it's a novelty. After a while, the novelty wears off pretty quickly. Um, but then I remember, you know, before I owned this car, you know, when I used to see one, it might, my, kind of my heart would skip a beat and I'd get excited. And if I saw one on the side of the road, I'd photograph it, you know. So I get to, I get why people who love these cars, why, why they do that. So I guess to describe the difference and um, look, an out-and-out speed, the Ferrari's probably got the legs on the 3.2 Carrera. On twisty roads, the Carrera would probably have the 
the three point the, the the Ferrari. But I think as a driving experience, if I'm honest with you, I'd go for the keys to the Ferrari first. Right. Um, although I would sell the Ferrari first before the career. I know that's. I know I'm sounding like I'm. I'm Why is that? But why would you do that? Okay. So so. Because it is flashy. Because it, it does come across as not flashy, but it, career, it, because you are on the show. Career, the career is a harder car for me to replace because it's hard to get a New Zealand new one that's got you know, basically original paint and an original interior and one of that quality. Whereas uh, you could pull a nice three to eight out of the UK pretty quickly. You've just got to find the money, but it's not a hard thing to get, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, and the, the 3.2 Carrera is a trip down memory lane. And I have family memories, you know, with dad having them as a kid. And it's, it's just, um, Paul, it, I didn't, I didn't ask you, your father, your father still has Porsches or he doesn't have Porsches anymore. Uh, not at this given moment in time. He has on and off. So he had a Cayman until about twelve months ago. Um, and and does he enjoy driving yours? I'm guess you let you let him drive the three point two. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get much say in the matter. He, he just calls <laughs> for the keys. <laughs> so, <laughs> at which point I sit there and say, "Oh, let me get it out of the driveway. I'll, I'll, I'll pull it out on the street and I'll point it in the right direction, and you can go for a drive." <laughs> just. <laughs> But um, but yeah. So no, he's still he's still very. I mean, he's getting older now, and they're 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 not they're not necessarily easy things to to drive by modern day standards. But, yep. Um, but yeah. But, the other thing, the other thing I'm really interested in, and I think you know, people who are is the run. And let, I know it's too. This this podcast isn't long enough now. We've actually run a bit over time because your story is so great, and I usually keep these to an hour, and we're about an hour and twenty. Um, so I'm, I hope you don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> Um, but okay. the um, Ferrari, Ferrari and the running costs. And I was reading something only a couple of nights ago. Here, I was reading something, and it could have been on Ferrari chat, and it could have been an old chat, and it was about the cost of servicing Ferraris compared to, you know, eighties eighties nine elevens. And I think okay, someone so was some, someone was saying that it was very similar, especially with the three two eight, not with the three five five. The three five five is they reckon is a lot more expensive to upkeep, but the 328 is a reasonably reliable Ferrari. It's reasonably inexpensive to run. And someone put the cost of like servicing and cam belt prices and whatever. And, and like that, it was a few years old, this thread. It wasn't, it wasn't a new threat. Do you, is it comparable? The running, the running cost of a 3.2 Carrera, say for example, and a 328 Ferrari. Um, I'm not sure. I think, to answer that question on reliability and cost of keeping a car, I think I think the trick is, regardless of whether it's a Porsche or Ferrari, you've got to buy one that's a good one that's been loved and comes with receipts. You know, either car will be expensive if it's got delayed maintenance. Um, when I brought my car, I was lucky enough that that it, I brought it through the local Ferrari dealer, and they, as just as a rule of thumb, they change the belts, they give it a full service inside and out. You know, and they they go through it, and so so my car. With a full service, all the oils changed, a cam belt service, uh, front discs done. They found a few other bits and pieces when they crawled through it. I didn't pay this, but it was obviously factored into the purchase price. It came with a, a service bill of $7,000 New Zealand. Um, okay. So that was them doing a whole lot of preventative and, 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 and maintenance on it. So I've owned the car now for... A year and a bit and when i took it in for its annual service it needed nothing doing to it and the service bill was seven hundred dollars new zealand so it was the, so i'm going to jinx myself saying so this that's like a 997 service price <laughs> 700 that's just a minor normal service right 700 new yeah, zealand so, 
So I'm going to jinx myself saying this, but the Ferrari is the car I've done the most miles in this year. I think I've done about three and a half thousand kilometers in it. Right. Cars, and it's been the cheapest one for me to own. The service on the the 3.2 and the, and the 997 GTS were more than that. Yeah, see, this is the thing. A lot of people are going to find that really surprising. And and I've only just found it recently when I've been, you know, looking at things online and, and just looking into it. Um, but that's... But we're at, we are talking about, and we are talking about a, a Ferrari that is known to be slightly more reliable, right? We have to say that. And yeah. like you said, you bought a good example. It is, it's like anything, like a Porsche as well. You buy, buy good examples, you know, you don't spend that much. And I always, I always harp on about the fact that, you know, a, nine, a 911, if you don't own one, they're not that expensive to own. Uh, the 997 yeah. has not been an expensive car to own. In fact, my Audi I had before, as I always said, used to, I used to pay more for service and more for things in the Audi than I do for the for the 911. Yeah. Um, of course, when you have to replace clutches and things like that, you you know you get into higher money. But it's not. Yeah. Cr- I don't think it's crazy money for either a 911 or a um, or a Ferrari. Is it? It's not crazy, crazy money. No, I don't think so. It's funny you say that because I I was. Toing and froing over a 355, which I could get in New Zealand, there was like a really nice example that I found with like, it was the one with the three spoke steering wheel and it had the black interior and, you know, it was red exterior. And I personally wanted a GTS because I, I don't ever drive the car with a roof on. It's just the way I use the car. And um, this one was a New Zealand new one. It just ticked all the ticks. And um, um, it's funny you say that because one of the things that that kind of held me back was, was the fear of... Um, big car bills with the maintenance of that you know at the time I was looking at another 355 and when you went through the the service history of it you know somebody 12 months ago spent $17,000 New Zealand on getting that car serviced and I was just like wow you know yeah so I'm used to car bills because I take cars to the track and and uh modify them so I'm 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 someone who who is used to uh throwing money at cars and 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 you know and I know what I'm I'm good at car bills it's not something that that I, well, no one ever likes giving away money, but you'll get some people who spend no money on cars and you get some people who are used to, you know, car bills through consumables and track days, et cetera. So I'm not afraid of spending money. I'm used to it. Yep. I was kind of sitting there saying, do I really want to own a car that doesn't go to the track and in three years time have a 10K service bill? You know, how am I going to, how am I going to feel? You know, it'd have to be, you know, if, if work was a little bit lean at that particular moment in time, you know, I'd probably be a bit grumpy cutting a check for that sort of money. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so that did, that did, uh, spin things more towards a more towards a three two eight, you know, because I'm aware that it's a it's a it is a cheaper car to run. But I think um, I think the advice that I'd give to people, and I've learned this through the school of hard knocks, is you just pay the money and get the very best car you can, the one with all the receipts, the one that's yeah. had the previous owner that's lavished the cash on it and it's got the latest tires and it's it, they've just cherished it, and loved it, and done the suspension and done. Look, the car might be ten thousand dollars more you know, than, than one that's average, but you can't take an average car and turn it into what that person's got. So just, just buy the best one you can, cause it'll be the cheapest ownership experience and you'll get the money back at the sale end of it. Exactly. But, it might, you might think, you know, it may, it may make you think about it when you're paying that extra 10,000 or 15,000, but when you get the car and it arrives, you'll feel much better about it. True Paul, you'll feel yeah. much better about that. You have actually bought a, a, a better example and it will pay off in the long run anyway. So and I think that's a that's a key point. Look, Paul, I think you have look you have a fantastic garage, and I think a lot of people are going to be envious when they when they finish listening to this podcast. Um, the nine nine seven uh, GTS is a beautiful car. I have you know you know I'm a fan. The three point two Carrera, the G fifty is, is is also another fantastic nine eleven. 
Uh, that and the SC, uh, you know, I'm fans of both of them. Um, and then you've got the 328 Ferrari. So you've got, you've got a nice mix of cars there to have fun with on the weekend, that's for sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, so one, uh, we, might, we might have to end the podcast because we're gone for, um, we've actually gone over today, Paul. So thanks for staying around for, for longer. It's actually an hour and a half. Yeah because your story is so great. But I, I just want to ask you, someone comes to New Zealand, and I always ask this question no matter where people are in the world. You come to New Zealand, is there, is there a favoured road near where you live or is there a great road in New Zealand that you would say to people, if you come to New Zealand, you know, hire a 911 or get your car or just get a crack car or yeah. a friend's car and drive around, what, what is the pick of the roads you think in New Zealand? I know it's a tricky one. Oh, you've got, to drive, you've got to drive to South Island. So you've got to, you've got to drive... Um, uh, you've got me on the spot now with what I call that area, but um, you know, there's you you drive basically south of Christchurch and all in and around the South Island and Queenstown and Wanaka and and that Southern Alps area and the South Island roads in New Zealand are you feel like you're driving in the Swiss Alps. You know, there's very few cars on the road. You've got those mountain tops. You've got um, spectacular scenery and. Um, you know, you've, 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 you feel like you're kind of, you feel like you're driving through um, the set of Lord of the Rings. It's got a road on it. You're the only thing on it and you're in a convoy of Porsches. You might be breaking the speed limit by five kilometers an hour. And it's just, um, it's just heaven on earth. It's just magic. You know, it's nothing better than, than being in a, a convoy in Porsches and, and doing those roads for, and there's like literally hours of it. But, but the great thing about New Zealand is there's, there are lots of great roads. It just depends on on where you are in the country and where you want to go. But but my favourite roads are definitely the south, just uh, best roads in the world. Fantastic, great tip. Um, so, Paul, do you have a? I haven't asked you actually. Do you have an Instagram or anywhere where people can see your cars, or you you don't have? Do you have any social media sites where you, people can go? I have a cars? Facebook page. Uh, there's probably got more got family photos on it than uh, than uh, car photos. I kind of play the cars down a little bit, but no, I don't. But I, okay. I don't mind sharing with you All some right. of my car putting them up on yours. Yep, yep. I have I have a couple of photos, so I'll put the photo on when we put the podcast up and when I put it on YouTube and the audio only goes on YouTube and I'll get a couple of photos. Maybe I'll get a couple of photos from Paul um, for the listeners and, and so the listeners can see it and I'll put it on my Instagram when, uh, when, the, when this podcast goes live on uh, next Tuesday. Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners today, Paul? I mean, I think um, I think you've got a great story. You've got a great car collection. Yeah, I, I, two, two things. I think I think one thing that we didn't touch on today, and you could talk for hours, is I think the greatest joy that I get out of Porsches is the community and the experiences. So, you know, just touching on it super quickly. You know, I've been to Australia, the Ren Sports, a couple of times. I went to Ren Sport reunion in 2018 in San Francisco, and if it wasn't for COVID, I would have gone to the Porsche factory this year. So. There are the, the biggest thing out of me is the cars. Once you get beyond the cars, it's the community and the people, you know, and the friends. And um, and the other quick thing I'd just like to say is, you know, I just want to uh, thank you for this podcast. The the thing that I really enjoy about it is they're kind of like normal Porsche people. It's not Seinfeld or or um, Magnus Walker or, or somebody with, you know, those guys are great people and we all aspire to be them. But I, I, I like the fact that they are normal people with Porsches, but, you know, with an equal passion. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The community of Porsche is great. And doing this podcast, you know, like uh, seriously, I guess from when COVID started in March, it has been great. It has been really a great experience. I've met so, I mean, I've, you know, meeting you today, I've met so many people from around the world. I get so many messages and, and so many people passionate about the brand and, and passionate about people that want to get into the brand, people who've just bought their first 911. You know, I'm getting lots of messages from people that have bought 996s. 
you know, everyone, yeah. you know, people are wanting to get into the brand for so long and, and they've bought their first 911 and it's a 996. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's just fantastic. It's just a fantastic community, like you said, and there's so many events. And I'm, I'm with you. We, uh, that's what I was planning to do this year as well. Actually, I was planning to do it in summer, but we couldn't obviously uh, go to the Porsche factory uh, when it was open, not in summer, but when it's open and do that factory tour because um, I'm yet yeah. to go to Stuttgart and I'm yet to go to the, to the Porsche Museum. So that's yeah. a, that'd be a, that's on my list as well for sure, and maybe even get one of those uh, hire one of those nine elevens, uh, Paul, through the Porsche Drive program where you can pick <laughs> them up, where you can pick it up at the factory. Um, now I know yeah. how to drive left hand drive after being in Bahrain. I, I don't have a problem with left hand drive, um, but I think that'd be a fantastic thing to do that collection at the factory and and, and have a car for two days and drive around the area there. Yeah, you got to do these things. They're just they're just bucket list things that sort of enrich in your life. You know, they're life experiences that. Um, that you know that you can't otherwise get i think yeah all right um thanks for being on the podcast paul it's been great uh so as i as paul said paul's from new zealand he's got three great cars he's also the uh president of the porsche club of new zealand correct um and we'll um we'll put some of those pictures up in the instagram um but i just want to say uh thanks everyone for listening Uh, this podcast has been slightly long today i hope you all you guys are still at the end and you're listening because it was a great story from paul uh great car collection and uh thank you so much paul thank you have a good night all right thank you everyone uh thanks for listening and bye for now (laughs)